Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple of pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all and especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Amanda Drury. She is Associate Professor of Practical Theology uh, for uh, the School of Theology and Ministry at Indiana Wesleyan University. Uh, so she is my colleague here at the university, though, in a different uh, uh, department and uh, a regular guest and also my wife. And of course, above all, well, maybe not above all, but alas, <laughs> one of my all-time favorite preachers. So huge fan of hers and her insights in the text. I love discussing scripture with her. Our uh, text this week is Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 20. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already, so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you enjoy the show, uh, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice and pass the show on so that others may benefit as well. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Amanda about Deuteronomy 30 verses 15 through 20. So yeah, we're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, verses 15 through 20, a uh, famous passage here towards the end of the Torah. So would you like to read or pray? I will read. Okay, you read Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 20, and then I'll say a word of prayer before we jump in. All right. Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 20. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we ask that your very word of life would be seen and heard and received with faith by Amanda and myself and all those who are listening in, I pray that your word that is living and that brings life 
may be understood, that we would be empowered by your spirit to perceive uh, what it is that you wish for us to see and hear. And Lord, open all of our minds and soften all of our hearts that we may be ready to trust and obey. We ask this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the very word of life made flesh. His name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, let's let's begin by sort of placing this in its context. We don't always start there, mm-hmm. but I thought that might be helpful for our listeners and for you, frankly, uh, because you have said before on air uh, <laughs> that you have a preference for narrative texts, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so to, to, to see it in its narrative setting might be helpful. Yes. An okay place to start. Yeah. So uh, what are some things that are just worth pointing out uh, to each other and to our listeners about kind of where we are in this story, sure. where this text shows up? Sure. Well, jumping ahead, this conversation is taking place right before Joshua comes to succeed Moses here. So we're getting, yeah. coming to the end of, of – of Moses's I mean, Deuteronomy only has 34 chapters, yep. and the last chapter is pretty short and narrates his death. Mm-hmm. And so, verse, so that's chapter 34. Chapter 33 is a blessing sort of pronounced on each of the 12 tribes. And then there's this kind of lengthy song or psalm in 32 with a little bit of narrative at the end. Mm-hmm. Commissioning of Joshua at the end of 31. So I mean, we are getting right up at the end, right? This is right. this is this is last words business. I mean, all of Deuteronomy is kind of shaped around a kind of, you know, final teaching, and a kind of remembering, a reteaching of the new generation mm-hmm. right before mm-hmm. they go in. So I think bringing up Joshua is is pretty fitting. And I don't know about you, but that immediately makes the language of long life in the passage sort of stand out. This is being spoken by a very old man. Who's huh. about to die yeah. and who's not going to go into the land and live there a long time. Right, right. right. Yeah, so where are they? I mean, aren't they just kind of right across the uh, – yeah, they're in Moab, right? Uh, 29, these are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make to the sons of Israel with the sons of Israel in the land of Moab mm-hmm. besides the covenant which he had made with them at Horeb. And more Moab's getting you up ne- much nearer to going into the promised land, right? Right, right. Yeah, so with with that in mind, I mean, it, it, just kind of picturing the scene now, right, is is this old man with his staff, you know, the miraculous uh, plagues and crossing of Red Sea, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the manna, the, the rock, all the conflicts and numbers, that's all in the past now. Yeah. This, yeah. Is, this is at the end of the story for him, although the beginning uh, for this new generation. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's in that context that we we hear these words. And and if you look back to chapter 27, he's just had a number of places where he's saying, talking about curses and blessings and curses mm-hmm. and blessings, which certainly we get in this passage we're looking at today. So there's, there's uh, I mean, even though this isn't just the same, they're not in the same place having this big, long monologue, this big, long speech, at least where it falls in the text, it's got some of that type of language coming beforehand, real, real emphasis on the, you'll get cursed here, you'll be blessed here. So, hence the past tense in verse 15. 
you know, behold, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. Like, Mm -hmm. so past tense. This is what I've been putting forth, you know? Yeah. You know, chapter, loosely, chapter 29, you rebel, you're going to get ruined. Chapter 30, then if you turn to God, he'll bring you home. You know, Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. it's this kind of, this clear statement. Yeah, well, in even the start of chapter 30 here, when all these blessings and curses I have set before you come upon you and you take them so that that theme mm-hmm. is, is just throughout, really sets this sets us up well. And you return to the Lord, then the Lord will restore you from your captivity and have compassion on you. Yeah. So even if the curse comes, the, the, the blessing is still available to those who mm-hmm. return to the Lord. Yeah, it's not just like choose life. I mean, he is saying choose life today, but he's not just saying like there's two paths and you go down one and that's it. Right. It's much more and it's anticipating the whole history of Israel Mm -hmm. to come. And you can kind of see why it's been theorized that that this is a much later addition. You know what I mean? Right. right. Because it it has this kind of like it seems almost like reading the whole of Exodus and Leviticus, like re-experiencing that from like a later angle later perspective you know Mm -hmm. you can feel why people would say that whether that's true or not the point is is that's rooted in an observation about the character of the text as a different sort of thing yeah a second law it's a choose life but when you don't he'll bring you back and then you can choose life (laughs) yeah although the emphasis is on the present Mm -hmm. you know i declare to you today this the i've set life and prosperity death and adversity before you today Mm mm-hmm I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. I don't know if that grabs you the way it grabs me, but today, today, today. Yeah, and and that is a transition from the first few verses of chapter 30, hmm. where there's lots of, um, you know, you will again. I mean, he seems to be talking to the future. You will again yes. obey, will again delight. He's almost giving the big picture and then, okay, but for today, <laughs> here's your job for today. Oh, I like that. That that may they may end up having some application for us about this text. So I'll put a pin in that to go in much more detail. But that kind of there's this kind of larger covenantal story mm-hmm. that the audience, the original audience, is being placed in. You know, and the language. I mean, even the language of there's consequences for rebelling against God. You know, I mean these this second generation, they know that. Like they they indirectly right. They haven't, maybe tasted it directly, but they know, you know, that they're old, that their own parents are not going into the promised land yes. because of their rebellion. Yeah. So they're at least indirectly connected to the way that cursing plays itself out. And yet also the faithfulness of God that they're, that the people of Israel are still going to go into the land. Yeah. It's just not the, not in the manner that, uh, that they originally would have foresaw. Mm-hmm. Well, this is maybe just turning far afield, but it's just really striking. The reference in 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Struck you too then, huh? It did. Mm-hmm. What's, what's, what do you think's going on there? This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. I mean, it sounds like he's setting himself up for an "I told you so," <laughs> and and you can't you can't argue with heaven and earth. I mean, 
Yeah, I'd have to probably do a lot more study to to lock this thought in, but but I wonder if it fits the setting of the long term that you already highlighted, mm-hmm. right? The because this it's quite clear he's speaking not just of you here listening in, but every generation to come, right? Right. Mm-hmm. That that's why thinking of uh, you know with some texts you have to do a lot of like work to kind of think through like. Okay, here's how the original audience would have heard it. And then how, here's us and how do we get from one to the other? And then some texts are written, and, and that's true of all texts, of course. But some texts, the way they're written, they're written in such a way that it's kind of like the original audience is intended. It's, it's, it's written in such a way that there would, that it would be handed on to other generations. So it's assumed that a later generation would be the audience of the text. You know, this one clearly has that vibe to yeah, me at least yeah. does, right? Yes. The whole Deuteronomy in a way is written in this kind of, it's not just for the second generation. It's for every generation other than the ones who died off in the wilderness. Right. 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 It's kind of my last will and testament before I'm out. So, so there's the breadth of that, you know, not just this generation, but the ones to come, but also, also the depth in terms of, uh, we're calling heaven as witnesses here too. This isn't just some local court case. We're, <laughs> we're, we're right. calling in the, the, the big dogs here. This is, it adds a certain gravitas to this. Well, you're 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 here on earth. This is all you can see. I'm calling heaven as a witness to what's going on. Yeah, here. yeah. The gravitas. I see that. And I was thinking also of the longevity. Like, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, which implies the sun's always there. <laughs> heaven and earth will pass away, but right, you know, like kind of meaning the kinds of things that you don't think of as passing away. So every generation passes away, but it's the same old land and it's the same old sky. Yeah, as if to say, you know. There's not a generation coming who's now off the hook because heaven and earth are always sure. there. Yeah. Yeah. Bearing oh, witness to the fact that this has been what's been put before you. Mm-hmm. So there's a kind of, I don't know, a kind of permanence or a perpetual character to the, to this calling of witnesses. Sure. Um, Somehow the heavens are even now bearing witness to this. <laughs> I think so. I think so. I think that's exactly what he's what he's asserting, you know? Mm-hmm. Don't think that this is just a word for another time. Yeah. Um, which, again, so whatever the documentary history of the book of Deuteronomy, it, it so clearly speaks to, you know, a, an era. It would, it, this would have been a powerful word in, in the season of the kings of some, some rebelling, some obeying, you know, that kind of back and forth. Sure. And that uh, it'd be tempting to say, oh, well, yeah, sure. All, all that stuff in the law really ha- is super relevant to all these people out and wandering in the wilderness. But what does it have to do with us? Right. We're not living in the wilderness. We've planted vineyards and, and are sheep herders and we're living, we have flocks and herds and wine presses and cisterns. Like, you know, now yeah. that we're a developed nation. We have our roots here. Yeah. What, what, what? You know, and this notion like, no, this still applies. It's the same sun rising up every morning and the Mm -hmm, same moon and stars mm -hmm. at night. You're, you're under the same uh, covenantal blessing and curse, threat of curse. Does that click with you or not? And then it makes, and then it immediately starts raising questions about us, like how this, how this continues to speak then even to this day. Mm-hmm. Which then raises all the fun interpretive questions that maybe we'll take a break and come back and talk about those. Sound good? All right.
And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. Here with my guest, Amanda Drury. And we're looking at Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 20. Kind of last, one of the last words in the last will and testament of Moses before the people are uh, enter into the promised land. So there's what's referred to in the you know in the commentaries and such of a, of a the the Deuteronomistic worldview, right? If you're familiar with mm-hmm. this term, sure. maybe our listeners are too. But just in case they're not, I'll catch them up to speed. So. It's often what's thought of that comes to expression in like the book of Proverbs, you know, this kind of, um, you follow the law, life will be good. You don't, life will be bad, right? It's this straightforward, right? right? And that's, and then these famous texts such as uh, Job and in a different way, Ecclesiastes are often seen as kind of the other side of the wisdom tradition, like the wisdom right. tradition has both this Deuteronomistic side and then this, you know, I don't know the best term for it, but the, this other side that challenges that. So that's kind of the main and it's, and why it's named that I, I assume has some to do with the, the source theories that Deuteronomy would have been compiled during the, the Josiah reforms and this kind of, you know, where, you know, in the context, you know, way before exile, the context of like how, you know, if we're obeying the law, that's going to lead to the good life. That really makes sense when you're trying to kind of stabilize a nation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But then there are other seasons uh, of life when that's not the most helpful uh, (laughs) news to receive. But I mean, this is a passage where that kind of worldview really does come to the fore, whatever people think of the source and historical theories. Clearly there's this kind of straight line between behavior and quality of life. And maybe it's just me. I'm raising this as an interpretive question because like, how do you preach on these? Well, you know, like I don't want to just start undermining them, you know, death of a thousand qualifications right. by saying, well, of course, you know, cause you couldn't get more Deuteronomy than choose life. It's not choose obedience and you will be given life as a gift. That's how he's been talking. Uh-huh. It's just it forecloses the, the the that extra step. It's like you're just auto. It's just automatic. You obey, you'll have a good life. Direct line. Yeah. And it can't, I can't help but imagine like the plausible objection to say like, well, this isn't always true, is it? You know, like. Um, so I don't know. Help me. Like, how would you when you're interpreting a text like this for yourself or for others and thinking through like how much. Do we like acknowledge that pro like let, let's talk about the problem of like how could this be true? You yeah. know? Well, I think I think I'd I'd, I'd go maybe a step before that first okay. and ask, well, isn't this isn't this just a rhetorical question? Isn't this obvious? I mean, if someone says choose life or choose death, obviously you're gonna choose life, right? Mm-hmm. Uh and so I've often had a hard time reading this passage to find any tension in it. Because choose life or death, mm. okay, life. Choose blessings or curse. Okay, blessings. But but when I think about, especially that obedience component that's that's embedded in there, you know, you might have a doctor that tells you to lose weight. You know it's a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know it's the way to life. You might even know that without doing that, <laughs> it, it's a road to destruction. But that knowledge doesn't necessarily 
lead you down the path of life. So maybe it's not, maybe it's not quite as simple as I might have it in my head in terms of, well, yeah, of course you're going to choose life over choose death because, because we don't do that on a regular basis. We, we, we choose paths in our everyday life that seem to indicate a, a leaning towards death and life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you say that you don't, you don't naturally see tension here, which goes back to your, uh, your preference for narratives. I mean, your, your default setting is to where's the tension. Right, right, right. Right. So the plot. Yeah. And we're not looking for a plot here, Mm -hmm. but there is a tension. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like I'm, if I'm hearing you right, the tension is in us. It's in the reader, right? (laughs) The tension is not, you know, in the text as such. The text is very straightforward. The tension is between the hearing and the doing of the word, as it were, or between knowing and willing. Yeah. Because, and then that's why I want to introduce the kind of implied kind of narrative setting of the story as we introduce already, which is, I mean, every single person listening to this sermon, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, their parents are dead because they chose it. Mm-hmm. That's the narrative mm-hmm. that they, that they're living. Right. And so then that does maybe raise that's, the stakes a little that's because true. it's kind of like, are you just saying that our parents, they chose this end for themselves, yeah. you know? And of course, I think Moses' answer would be yes. Uh, in fact, God at one point was ready to wipe them all out and wipe right. you guys out too. Right. So the grace is that you get a chance to choose life, even though they chose death for themselves. The grace of God is not ignoring their bad choice, but giving you the freedom to choose otherwise. Yeah. And, and they haven't been faced with this choice yet. I mean, their parents, Ooh, say more about that. Their parents you could say chose they they you know chose the chose the path of death here but they almost were just grandfathered in to this situation they it wasn't like the 5 year old decided yes i choose life or what was the cutoff 20 20 20 mm-hmm. so it wasn't like the the 19 year old said yes i choose life my parents are wrong uh, i mean maybe maybe that was right. the case for some of them but 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 now that they're in the position of their parents now it's 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 almost a deja vu moment where okay now it's now it's your turn you've this is what you've been nurtured into. Now, what are you going to be? Hmm. Choose? It's, it's on you from here. <laughs> I wonder if that's what drew you to the text. When you cho- I gave you a couple choices. Maybe you can't remember it was so long ago. I don't know. What drew you to this text? I was surprised when you picked it. Because oh, well, everything you just said there just sounds like right up your alley. <laughs> right? <laughs> like this kind of, this, the appropriation of faith mm-hmm. by the next generation. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is... This is youth ministry, right? I know. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, this is a youth ministry <laughs> text. Is, that, but I was wondering if that was in the back of your mind. Sorry to put no, you on the spot. No, it wasn't. That's that's what I love about these conversations is is maybe there's a um, – I've got to pull to a certain passage and I'm not quite sure why, but there's an itch yes. there that's trying to be scratched. And then through the conversation then with someone else, you're able to see some of those different shades coming out. Right, because if you're just working on your own, you're going to – both in terms of text selection as well as just personal study – Mm-hmm. We tend to gravitate towards the texts we love and know, and there's nothing wrong with that for our own formation, you know. But when we're when we're been tasked as shepherds of flocks, yeah, we need to attend to the whole witness of Scripture, both in terms of our faithfulness to God, which is why, again, I don't think the lectionary is perfect. It's just a way of forcing you to consult the a broad range of texts right. and genres, right? right. That, that's what's beneficial about it, you know. If you have some other system to to get you to do that where you're not cooking the books. Great. Yeah. Uh, but uh, as well as just the, the, the range of human experience amongst our people. Sure. 
you know, but like the fact that like for devos, I'm going to hang out in the gospel of John and I have been for 10 years and I will for another 30. No shame in that. You know, <laughs> that's what I love. That's where I am at my best. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if that's where I'm at my best preaching. I don't know. That's, that's debatable. You know, sometimes it's hard actually to preach on your absolute favorite oh, text because it, it makes yeah. sense to you and it's kind of find hard sometimes to find the words. And the stuff <laughs> that, that you're, that you're used to that could be new for someone else seems like old news. It's hard to know what's right. Where to put the emphasis. Right. <laughs> the emphasis <laughs> on the wrong syllable. Is that what you were thinking? Exactly I saw what it in your eye. <laughs> uh, but this, Whereas this, this is like, where do I put the emphasis? I don't know. The thing that grabbed me because it's new and fresher yeah. to me. So this is really a coming of age passage. Yes. Yes. It's, uh, yes. You can't look to your parents anymore. You can't even look to Moses because he's, he's on his last legs That's right. here. So you gotta, you gotta step up and choose life here. And I, you know, that's right. And Joshua's a, you know, He's a great commander, but he's not a lawgiver. You know, he's not, you know what I mean? Like he, he's not, his role is not to, to give counsel to figure out how to, how to follow God in the day to day. You know, yeah. he's a, he's a, he's a captain of the army, as it were. I'm not trying to poo on Josh. I'm trying to say the whole point is that, that the era of your formation into the basics is done. Right. right now, right. now you're in the era of conquering. And what you need to be reminded is when you, once you've settled in the land, don't try to figure out some new law to follow. You already got it. Yeah. Stick to this. Yeah. It will work. It's relevant to this new season, this new era uh, that you're entering into. The same old law, the same covenant, the same oath stands, uh, the promises stand, and the threat stands. Mm -hmm. Well, that's helpful. And I'm glad you pushed back a little earlier. To the, to the, what the tension even is, you know, that, that helps me. That helps me. Well, then I, I think that helps make sense too, then of the whole mantra that comes to Joshua over and over again, the be strong and courageous, the do not be afraid, the do not be afraid, mm. uh, recognizing that this is new territory for them, that they're stepping into these new positions and uh, perhaps highlighting for us too, just how frightening this choosing this life could be. You think that death would be the frightening part, would be the scary part, but uh, I don't think that's the case here. I mean, in some of their battle escapades coming up, they're choosing life by walking into death. Yeah. I declare to you today, verse eighteen, that you shall surely perish if you go after those other gods. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter in and possess it. I love that. It's kind of like, yeah, you're going to go across. God's going to give you the victory. But once you settle in, if you go the way of their gods, you know, yeah, and I guess that's that other level that's maybe just now occurring to me that on the one level, they're entering into an era of greater prosperity. They've been in the wilderness for 40 years, yeah, right? It's yeah. a time of more of scarcity. And yet the era of prosperity that they're entering into is also the era of much greater temptation. There aren't, in, there aren't other gods out in the desert to follow, right? There's nobody else out there, right? Yeah. It's these Canaanites gods that you're going to get uh, tempted into. And furthermore, you know, of course, yeah, there were other gods back in Egypt, but uh, but they were the gods of your oppressors. So it's kind of right. obvious that they weren't on your side. Yeah, yeah. Right? But you're going to come in, God's going to give you a lot of success, and you're going to be very tempted to think, well, now we're people of the land, we should worship the gods of this land. That made this land so great. Baal and the rest of them. Mm -hmm. That's I mean, it's so obvious in a way that it wasn't clear to me until now that on the one hand, the Deuteronomistic worldview is a kind of prosperity gospel. <laughs> uh -huh. But at the other, on the other hand, if you see it in its fullness, um, it also recognizes 
the great temptation that is prosperity. Right, right. right? It's precisely the possession of the land, the occupation of the land that is the great temptation. Yeah. Uh, to follow the, the, the gods of that land. So go ahead. Well, and at which point has, when did the manna stop? I mean, wasn't it after they crossed over the Jordan or something? Uh, there, there was a, there was a clear day on, on which the manna stopped falling. The finale of the, I mean, I don't know. Let's look it up. Cause I think that's going to be relevant for the sermon that you're brewing. Yeah. <laughs> There's a line about it. Isn't there in uh, uh, yeah. one in early in Joshua though, right? Well, this oh, is fun. Help me Google. Ah, I'm looking it up. Where's yeah, my phone? No shame in that. Oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. Um, Joshua chapter five. They've just crossed the Jordan. There's been some circumcision. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. Yep, the manna ceased on that day. Yep. Day after Passover. The day after Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. I love that, that um, the manna didn't stop until they had already eaten other food. So it wasn't <laughs> like, the manna stopped, okay, you got to go find something. It was, I mean, it was just a very gracious move. Yeah. Just, just one extra day there. One day of um, overlap. But yeah, one day of overlap. Huh. They didn't, th- there was no reason for them to go hungry for a single day. Yeah. No excuses there. And it parallels, though, the overlap of Moses' last words here. You know, it's like they're of the whole book of Deuteronomy for that matter. You know, it's, yeah, this old generation has passed away. This new generation's coming in. You know, the wilderness era is ending. The, the occupation of the land is beginning. But you're not starting from scratch. Right. You're still, you grew up on manna. You grew up on the law. The law is being reiterated, but with a new twist. And, ah, and it, and it, and it demonstrates that God is still with them providing. It's almost like a little implicit judgment. Not like when you were on the other side of the Jordan, you were eating the manna from Adonai. You cross over and now you eat the produce. And it's like, oh, well, now we're eating the, the fruit of Baal. Yeah. And it's to say, you know, no, right? Like just if in the same mouth you're enjoying the, you know, the fruit of <laughs> the, the supposed fruit of Baal and the the bread from heaven, I don't know. It's like a way of kind of saying, no, all of this is from me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Just like just as I am the one who brought you out of Egypt and the one who led you through the wilderness, I am the one who brings all the fruit of the land. Mm-hmm. In this in this nation that you're about to to make your own yeah. and make your home, and so therefore be loyal to me. Back right. to back to our text, right? Because there's a little triplet at the end. Not that I'm trying to write a three point sermon, but you know, call me out if I ever do that. Right at twenty, right? Love by loving the Lord your God, by obeying His voice, by holding fast to Him. That little for this is your life in the length of your days. Right, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right, loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, holding fast to Him. Yeah, do you have something different? No. Okay, same exact phrasing. Well, not the exact phrasing. How's yours have it? Uh, what verse? Twenty. 20. Beginning of twenty. And that you may love the Lord your God, listen to His voice, and hold fast to Him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you mm-hmm. many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
So choose life in order that you may live by loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, right? That's the mode by which one chooses life, at mm-hmm. least in the way the sentence is structured. Love your God, obey his voice, hold fast to him. You can almost kind of see, like, I don't know, I hear holding fast and think of the temptation of other idols, right? Hold fast to him, mm-hmm. right? Stick just with him. Which again, then I think presses back to the the kind of the different sort of, quote, prosperity gospel that's here. Because even there, it kind of implies like there's this obedience and holding fast to him. Namely, you have a bad year. Don't run off to, to bail. Like, I don't know if he's because even this this big generational picture, I think, is crucial. OK, like this is the the falsehood of so much prosperity gospel preaching now is it is not the link it makes between obedience and prosperity, because that's a biblical theme that can't be denied. It's the individualistic application of it, Mm. which is not how this passage is talking. Right. It's saying you and your children and your children's children. And the fact is, is my obedience may not result in a good life for me. Sure. But it's, it is going to have an impact generationally. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. there are choices that I can make that increase or decrease opportunities for, you know, my children and my children's children, right? So I don't know. Is that help? That helps me a little bit to see the prosperity promise on a larger scale yes. at a communal level yes. and at a generational level rather than just as a kind of individual, especially when I think of the fact that, man, you go in and if your neighbors are, you know, praying to their local gods that are specifically like agricultural gods, which uh-huh. is the kind of gods they're not used to worshiping. Right. It's not what they've seen. And the, and the, and even, even, of course, the, these kids didn't grow up in, in, they're not kids now. They're in their forties and fifties, right? But they didn't grow up in Egypt. Yeah. Um, although some of the oldest among them would have remembered Egypt and what Egyptian gods were like. But Egypt has a whole different religious vibe. It's all about the Nile. It's all about the river. Yeah. So it's yeah. all about the river getting really huge a couple months a year, you know? Whereas Israel is all about, you know, the cycle of, you know, seed and storms and harvest and all that. And, Man, to be around all these agricultural gods and the temptation who are just straightforward prosperity gods, right? Right. You worship me this year. Yeah. This year you will have a big harvest. Right. You know, and this promise is not this year. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to go well. It could go bad for a little while. Cling, stick with, stick without an eye. He's the one true God. Mm-hmm. These are false gods. Don't, don't go rushing off to them in the long term. Prosperity comes to those who obey. I don't know. This is helping me at least think it through. I don't know if it's helping you at all, but um, what are you thinking over there? Oh, I'm just thinking <laughs> of um, of uh, how appealing those gods would be to go into Canaan, a land flowing of milk and honey, these giant clusters of grapes, and to know that those are there with people who are worshiping other gods. Yeah, I mean, you, you can you can attribute you you could attribute that food directly to 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 the false gods that they have. And so it, what an act of faith that would be to go into that space and to try to cultivate that same food calling on the name of a different god. Yeah. It seems like the 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 false gods are the tried and true here. Yeah. Well, there's some more narrative tension for you. <laughs> and in between the lines and in the larger context. Well, and, and I could see the appeal then of 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 worshiping many gods 
okay, I'm going to worship Adonai. Head your bets. Uh, and yep, yeah, and this one here too. Th- this is working for him. Maybe we add an Adonai, and the food gets even better. Exactly. That's exactly the ten. And and again, in hindsight, exactly what happened. <laughs> Right, exactly yeah. what they got punished for. And, and right? our, our our worship today is so far removed from crops in the ground. Mm. Uh, but 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 when you think about worship being attached to how I'm going to eat, that that's a lot scarier. I mean, I, I mean, for me to for someone telling me don't worship other gods, okay, yeah, it what other gods? Yeah, right. yeah. Um, but but to think of my livelihood depending on worshiping the right god. Yep. Uh, that's. It feels like there's a lot more skin in the game with that. Well, with you saying that question and bringing it to today in the distance, as well as the connection, I think it'd be good to take a break and come back and see how we might preach on this. All right. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Amanda Drury, and we're looking at Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 20. And we've had that experience that we often have with Fresh Text, where we're a little like, where are we going to go with this? And then it always ends up, we see things. And so I hope it's been your experience as you listen in uh, as well. So uh, in this last little section, let's explore some sermon starters. Where might you take these insights? How, how, do, how do we speak the the good news of this of this text um, to modern folks. Yeah. So let me let me give some big picture thoughts, and and I'm not a fan of this technique, but this is where my mind keeps going. Mm-hmm. I think I would want to focus on the tension of this text, on uh, just really problematizing why this isn't such an obvious call to choose life, like where the struggle is and mm-hmm. choosing life. And, you know, you're going into the, into the new land and the man, I, th- I think I would draw on some of those things we've been talking about and to try to make it sound really, really hard to mm. choose life, mm-hmm. uh, really problematize that. And then, um, and then jumping back to an earlier verse, which, which I don't like, feels like a little bit like a, like a bait and switch here, but um, to jump back then to verse 11, which these four verses are some of my favorite. So, boy, this oh, is so hard. So Can we do this? And then to hear these words that, Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, Who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim <laughs> it to us so we may obey it? Yeah. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, Who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. Mm. Uh, which, oh, I, 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 these are some of my favorite verses mm. right there. Just very moving to, I mean, it's almost a, a, a Psalm 23. Uh, you have everything you need. <laughs> you, you you don't need to want. You, uh, you've, you've had these leaders. You've had the seas parted, this and that, these great signs, but you don't, you don't need that. Mm. Everything you have is, is in you. You have been given what you need. Oh, there's a passage in, in I think it's First Peter that talks about how he's given us everything we need for holy living. Hmm. Uh, maybe draw some of that in as well. But um, so almost this this buildup of of hey, this is hard. Uh, can we really do this? And uh, just the assurance. I mean, I guess it's just kind of a gentle word here that yeah, you can. Yeah, you you really can. This is this is in you in ways that you can't even comprehend. You don't need to outsource your faith to something else here. Uh, the word is very near you, is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. 
Yeah, the Apostle Paul, of course, quotes that in in chapter ten of Romans. Mm. Uh, that very that this very little block right before our the, assigned the text, whole thing or just the the who will go up into a seven who who will who will ascend into heaven as okay. it is right mm-hmm. that is the Christ who already has he says or who will go down into the abyss that's <laughs> the Christ right so he does this right. kind of christological reading and then says no the word is very near you and and in your mouth and in your heart verse 14 of Deuteronomy which he then the next line is the if you believe, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and mm. believe in your heart, mm. right? So that's where he even gets the mouth and oh, heart comes from this text. Did, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. So I mean, you know, you could just you know preach Paul's sermon on it. <laughs> um, that's why I love that connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that would be another thing to consult sure. in preparation. Yeah. Um, if 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 our if any of our listeners are teaching or preaching on this text and choose to um, dip into those verses directly i mean you need them of course for the context but to dip into those directly maybe even with that technique you mentioned i think uh some consultation with romans 10 would be a good idea because that's part of how i mean in some sense how does this apply to us today well in one really important sense it doesn't (laughs) right in one really 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 important sense that shouldn't be forgotten is that at least for gentile believers in christ these promises are not for us in the way they are for the pe- the people of God, right. strictly speaking. You know, you don't just say, oh, well, they're conquering America and, we're, you know, they're conquering Israel and we're conquering America or something. You know, like it's you, those kinds of direct applications are actually deeply problematic and lead to, lead to all kinds of violence to the text and mm-hmm. violence to other people. Yeah. So, I mean, in some sense, crucially, we're being incorporated into this text by faith in Christ. That doesn't mean it doesn't apply to us, of course. I'm saying just in one really important central sense. Let me put it this way. The reason this text applies to us is the same reason why it doesn't. Like It applies to us through Christ. Uh (laughs) Um, But the fact that it applies to us through Christ goes to show that it's applying to us in a different way than just the kind of like direct, (laughs) right? It's a mediated mediated application, Right. right? So, of course, it still stands. The covenant still stands. And the blessing and curse uh, still stand and they can still guide us in the way that we live, but that the word that is in, you know, uh, the word that is in our mouth and in our heart is not just, I mean, it is verse 20, loving your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, right? But recognizing, you know, who is his voice for us? It is Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. So it means that is the the mode of our obedience, um, today. So then it comes back when you talk about it being hard then. So then after that twist in your sermon, well, first of all, let me just ask, like, what would, you, what would be the kind of handful of things we might list as the kind of temptations, right? The, the, the what a, focusing on the idols. I mean, that seems to be the emphasis here. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, and, or the trusting in themselves, like it's the, the prosperity to come, right? Right. Um, yeah, when you face when you when you receive prosperity, don't be tempted to think it's because of you mm-hmm. or think it's because of other gods that you might worship. Right. But then when you get the other side of that that twist, this isn't hard. You don't have to go find it. Right. It's very straightforward. It's very <laughs> yeah. simple. Yeah. Right. There's nothing outside. I mean, I, I am curious when you talk about the tension behind the text. What's the parallel tension in our world That's if we don't question. have any gods yeah. to run yeah. off to? Or do we? I mean, I, I, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Th- th- this might this might be too far removed. I'd have to think on this some more. But um, I mean, Moses is very clear here: going into the land that God has put before you. So even asking people, what what land are you walking into? Mm-hmm. Is this is this is this the land of the Lord that you're pursuing? Is it? Um, mm-hmm. So I, th- I think there's some calling and vocational questions here, but I, I don't think that directly lines up with. Uh, well, but it's nice though because then ask what are the temptations that come with the very land to which God is sending you. I mean, that's worth saying. I mean, God's sending them into this land full yeah. of these these temptations. Yeah. Right. It's like putting the dang tree in the middle of the garden. Right. It's like he's, you know, like he's basically putting them right into the crosshairs of the temptation. Sure. Yeah. I think I'd give people a fill in the blank here. Okay. So that, but if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to mm-hmm. fill in the blank, or if you are drawn away to bow down to and to, and to allow people to even name themselves where the, where their temptation is. Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking of myself and um, my temptation to try to control a situation mm. that. Uh, I try to do whatever I can to not have to lean on faith. <laughs> if I can plan ahead, if I can get this and then, then, then I don't need faith. I just need, um, what grit determination and follow through. Like, like there's, there's a self-sufficiency mm. that I think that I'm tempted to rely upon uh, without, without even realizing it. So maybe the land that at least you and I inhabit, uh, and many of our listeners do does have its, uh, Local gods, right? Yeah, it's just yeah. the god of the self, which yes. is the modern god. Yeah, is the you know and, modern and atheism is not a godless. It's a it's a it's an alternative paganism, the <laughs> paganism of you know the worship of self. Yeah, and, and so then circumcision of the heart really matters. Then, which is the previous, which is <laughs> right, six through ten, right? Right. This language of right. This is deep in the heart. This is not just about your exterior actions. It's what do you put your trust in. And, and if not, if not false gods, then not, if not idols in the physical, literal sense of the word, then what, what idols within mm-hmm. have you entrusted yourself to? Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that's good. And to give people the actual physical space to fill in that blank, the, what, you know, what is, what, what is destructive in your life? Mm-hmm. And to allow people to identify that themselves. I don't think um, that'd be good in the first half of the sermon before this twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of sermons, yeah. like a lot of times, the the reflection time is like at the end, right? And then usually, like, and usually when that happens, you only get like <laughs> two minutes of gospel. Yeah, yeah. So, so give give that give that tension Ser- early, yeah. first the, time the sermon somewhere. Yeah, the, the the where where is your soul being drawn away to? Where 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 are you tempted to go down paths of destruction that that might look different from the people even sitting next to you? I I think this is a deep. This is like a deep duh kind of thing where it's kind of like, choose life, duh. Like, of course <laughs> I'm going to choose life, right? It's mm-hmm. like, um, it's like there's a line, I'm sure it's in other philosophers, but it's really prominent in Aristotle and it shows up throughout the Christian tradition a lot where it's like, there are certain things that we don't choose to will. There's certain goods that we just, we will necessarily, right? Huh. And all of yeah. our other logic is built off that. And it's and and one of them is to live, right? Like all existing things will to live, right? right? The will to live is built in. We don't choose it, right? So it's almost. And if that's true, it actually adds to the insight because then it 
like, because the way to ask the question is why is he bothering to tell them to choose something that you would never bother to choose, not choose? Mm-hmm. Aren't all the choices that we make that lead to death usually some kind of misperception of what that, that they, we thought it would lead to the good life and it didn't, right? right? right. Usually, isn't it? And, and in some ways, most kind of helping us see is like, no, th- this isn't just an intellectual error. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> this is about your heart, circumcision yes. of the heart. Right. What are you actually oriented towards? Who are you loyal to? Right. right. And the heart brings us into that language of loyalty, I think, naturally. You know, I'll flag this because I won't be able to figure this out now. But if I were writing a sermon on this and going along those lines, uh, I'd I'd pull out Hermione Abara. She's a business writer. Okay. Hermione Abara. She's got this book. Act like a leader. Think like a leader is what it's called. She's okay. got this whole section on how it's not enough to know. To know the good, it's you, you. You can't just convince yourself to do the right thing. It's not an yeah. intellectual pursuit, but there, there's something even bodily in this that you are having your body go into these new spaces and do things that you might not even be able to intellectually explain. Uh, understanding that that sometimes that type of thinking comes after the the physical, uh, <laughs> like this text, which probably made no sense to a bunch of young guns ready to go in and kill some Canaanites. Yeah, like, yeah. Might be tempted by their gods. We're gonna be killing them, right? Their gods are gonna lose, right? I mean, they're just—they're getting all pumped up, right, for battle. Yeah, yeah. Their minds aren't here uh, on the settling down part. Yeah, but they will be later. Yeah. So you—he's saying it now. Tuck this away. You're yeah. gonna need this. That's right? my temptation to think I can, I can think my way into the into choosing life if I just understand it better. Then I'll then I'll go down that road. Well, this is this is great. This ties into something I wanted to mention, which is a parallel. So like we've, I like this structure. I, someday, we don't have to do this now, but maybe someday we should talk form. Someday when we either have like a, like a very simple idea that's easy to explain. And so we'll use the time to talk about like pluses and minuses of different structures. Mm-hmm. So I, I love talking sermon structure with you. So someday we could do it, but so just tuck it away. Cause we're out of time today, but like, I am curious, like why, like the going out of order is like cheating or something like that. Like, huh. I mean, why not? If it's uh-huh. good, it's uh-huh. good. What's what's the matter? You know. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'm probably a little too latitudinarian about form. I'm kind of whatever form works, man. <laughs> or should I say, whatever gets you excited about your sermon, I'm cool with. <laughs> you know what? I changed my mind on that actually. And yeah. Then I'll let you get back to that. I, no I, I, I said I'd read starting with the 15 and then come back to that part at the end. I think I'd just read the whole thing right away, but just focus on the 15. Got and it. then it's a hey, but remember what came before then? Got it. Okay. So you're saying it kind of cheating to like hold part of the passage yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I could yeah. see how that could be like a little just weird, like like you don't trust people or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like all oh, the answer was there all along, which it is, but but it's I think it's better to experience that of the oh that was there. Yes, that's right. I forgot about that part. Yeah, no, and I think you could start even at six. Because you get a little bit of the curses referenced and the phrase circumcise the heart there. Mm-hmm. That could be nice. Yeah. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all, and so that you may live, right? So get yeah. some of that language, I think, in there. I think 6 through 20 could be a really nice reading that brings a little bit of the language in. And even the remembering reminder that it's ultimately God who's going to be doing this circumcising. Yeah, you know, it's God yeah. who will preserve you. Can I flag one more thing? Oh, please, this has nothing please. to do with the sermon that we're talking about, but it just it just stuck out to me. Uh, verse 19. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice, hold fast to him. I think it's interesting that they say you and your children. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as if implying that what you do, your children will take part of as well. Mostly yes. just because the generation before, the parents made their choice, but the children had their own choice. That's right. So it's not saying that the children don't have a choice here, but but I think especially um, when I think about sometimes the guilt, like the guilt that a parent might feel for, oh, I didn't train up my child well, or uh, I wish I regrets. I wish I'd done this when I had children at home. Hmm. I mean, just the story alone is a is a look you can really screw things up and that doesn't mean that that your kids are out uh god is more than able to pull out and i think that would be a i think the basic sermon form that you've mentioned i think could be applicable in lots of settings i think how much you emphasize different aspects like you know just in terms of a congregation you know if you if you have a, a younger congregation i think the emphasis would need to fall a little bit more on the Treat them like they're the ones hearing this word, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I could see, especially in there could be settings where you're speaking to to someone uh, further along in life, that it could be helpful to kind of say, you've done your part, and now it's time for them to, you know, and it's your time to pass the torch, like, oh, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. So I could see different emphases playing out, depending on the context a little bit. On different syllables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sla- All right, go ahead. Sla- you even to say something. <laughs> no, no, I'm good. It was just this – I was thinking about this this whole time. So you talked about like maybe having a pause somewhere early in the sermon where you kind of pause to think, you know, what would be – what draws me away yeah. from the path? What draws me away? Make it clear that that's a genuine temp- – to make the temptation real. But then you could have – and then connected with this kind of – how do you live into this rather than just thinking your way into it? And one is to move move away from preflection to reflection, right? We use the word reflection, but reflect implies you've done a thing and you're thinking about it after. Or outside, insight outside. Right, right, right. Barra calls that. Oh, nice. Yeah. And 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 the practice that befits that most of all is the examine. Yeah. The examine prayer. Because yeah. the examine prayer is all about not trying to will your way into a better life, but yeah. to pay attention. Yeah. And and the examine book that you and I like to use a lot by Mark Thibodeau, Reimagining the Ignatian Examine, one of the – he has like 32 different ways of doing an examine. And one of them, 28, is called Choose Life. Mm. And he has this text. And here's how it goes. I'll just read through it and yeah, we can end with this. And so we begin in my usual way. Pause and uh, some whatever ritual helps you get started. And spend a few moments in gratitude thanking – God, for one or two blessings, big or small, I've received today. Then after that, slowly, prayerfully read this Bible passage above that we just talked about, and then look over my day and ask, did I choose life or choose death today? What was the thrust of my life toward the good or toward the bad? Mm. I don't need to analyze or dissect all the parts of my day. Instead, just look at the overall movement of the day. Was it overall toward life? or toward death. I speak with God about this. I give thanks and ask for forgiveness or for healing or whatever my heart feels inspired to say. And then now I prayerfully imagine my day tomorrow. Ask myself, if I were to choose life tomorrow, what would my day look like? Yeah. What would it feel like? Perhaps I'll get concrete here and maybe imagine specific things I'm going to do or say that will be life for me and others tomorrow, whatever that example might be. Or perhaps I'll simply pray about my interior disposition, maybe noticing 
I want to live more out of peace than anger or not let the worries get the best of me or whatever. Speak with God about what it means to choose life tomorrow. If I feel called to do, I make a, a specific commitment to God asking him to help me be faithful to that commitment. And then I end in my usual ritual. So simple, yeah. right? And just to do that for a little while, you yep. know, for yep. a few days, for weeks, for a month. There's two things about that that I love that I would want to incorporate in the sermon. The first would be um, to keep the reflection within the day. So hmm. not just asking, you know, where where do you, where do you, where are you tempted towards death or destruction? Which I mean, can can your mind can go all over the place with that? But but to yeah. say, look, even just just look at today. Since the moment you woke up, did you have little temptations towards towards destruction? You know, where where were those? And and allowing to get to get really concrete and current. Yeah. Even if it's just something small, giving permission to look back on your day that way. So that's the first one. So, yeah, we are part of a larger covenant story. But right. He's talking today. Yes. Today. today four Choosing times. This, today. Yes, today. Today. Yes, today. Yes. Yes. And then the second thing, just a practical thing that drives me nuts with with preachers. <laughs> plan ahead what question you're going to ask word yeah. for word craft the question really well oh, yeah i mean so often pastors will ask a question they'll ask it four different ways it's so confusing they, everyone just says what was the question again? yeah, they, yeah. They, they take the time on the pros of the sermon without thinking about that it could be that the, the question is the most it should important be the part least of the extemporaneous part of the sermon yes. i completely yes, agree yes, yes, actually you know me i don't even preach with notes i've i'm mostly <laughs> extemporaneous the one thing i want to make sure is scripted is right that, the question script the question and then actually hold a advice. clock and watch 30 seconds go by because yep. the time Count will feel you'll, you'll wait for what's going to feel like a long time and it's actually only five seconds so there your congregation is like you barely gave us time to think but but there on the pulpit it feels like time is moving so slowly and you mm-hmm. that it's hard to have dead space when you're behind the pulpit so those, just those two intentional things, knowing the question you're going to ask and then giving actual physical planned out space to answer it in your head. That's really good. That's really good. Awesome. Well, thanks for that preaching advice. That was great. And for discussing right. the text, thanks for giving yeah. an hour of your time to me thanks. and to the text and to our, to our listeners. Thanks as always to uh, Todd and Eric and their great production work. I can't imagine doing this without them. And thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. With that said, we always say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Bye.